the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the show. In purpose of uh, framing our uh, discussion with our next guest, I want to go back to this uh, conversation we had earlier in the week with Bob Muzikowski, the founder of Catholic Hope Academy Independent Christian School on the west side of Chicago. His experience uh, being open, having a school day running, full school day running since last fall, and the experience of some people he talked to, other high schools, Catholic high schools on the south side of Chicago, uh, as compared to the experience and the story with respect to the Chicago public school system, which, of course, has been a national story for their recalcitrance, to be polite, in getting back to the classroom. Here's Muzikowski. We're a high school, Chicago Academy, uh, independent, non-denominational Christian high school. We had about 40 kids transfer in from public schools when they found out they weren't going to open. So in that period, we've had seven students test positive. One was affected, was a night in the hospital. All the others were back as soon as they were allowed. We've had nine staff get it. One of them was my daughter. Instead of running five miles a day, she ran seven <laughs> miles a day. In general, we had one, one staff member affected, though, where she was out for a couple of weeks and was really hurting. But that's, uh, we're 287. I actually visited Marist High School, which has 1,200 students on the south side, and had uh, dinner with the principal there, reviewed their new signs up, and they've been open the whole time. They do half in the morning, half in the afternoon. So, I think my opinion with CPS is you got every principal has at least a master's or a PhD. They should have let every principal run their show. They know their students the best. They know their families the best. Why would you not let your principals run their own show for each school? Why would you not let your principals run their own show? Hmm. Uh, by the way, just as a background, Mazakowski uh, and the performance of Chicago Hope Academy for the students in his charge, 90% poor, black. Our kids are thriving. Last year, we had two Yales, Columbia, Brown. We have a kid at Princeton, Notre Dame, University of Chicago, and a bunch of the military, which we're super proud of. But we know where everybody's going when they walk across the stage. And, and again, just to repeat, west side of the city, 90% low income, uh, mostly yeah. minority kids, right? Yeah, mostly black. My own kids were the first white kids in the school. and One of them's a principal now. I went to Harvard. Uh, Mazakowski has also fostered black children. And here's the results he suggests CPS is generating from the position the Chicago Teachers Union has taken. Do you think the kids on the west side and the south side are really paying attention on Zoom when it's loud in the background and your, your mom's getting high? I mean, really, it's ridiculous to think that. And to think that all these juniors and seniors in the low-income south side, minority kids and west side, do you think they've been told they don't have to go to school? Do you think they're going to come back for their senior year at 19? I mean, you just created 30,000 gangbangers because you're too lazy to open and figure it out. For more on this, we're pleased to be joined by Ramesh Ponaru, Senior Editor for National Review, columnist for Bloomberg Opinion, and a visiting fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Ramesh, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Glad to be on. The question that he poses, uh, Bob Mazakowski, in that first bite where he says, uh, you know, these principals, the master's degrees, PhDs, why wouldn't you let the principals run their own show? They, they know the show at their school. And uh, in your piece in Bloomberg, you explain why 
that's not the case is because and this is something that it, it baffles me that it mystifies people to this day. There's a reason why Chicago schools, San Francisco schools, Fairfax County schools uh, are not open. And it's not because that they don't understand what they could be doing. They don't understand what people say. Well, this is a common sense thing to do or this is a way to to achieve what I want you to achieve. The system is set up very well for them, and they're perpetuating a system that serves them very well, even if it doesn't serve their families particularly well. That's right. I think that the untold part of the story here is the way different types of schools respond to incentives and the way different kinds of schools are set up to be more or less responsive to parents. Because parents, you know, look, when parents want their kids to be educated, of course, they don't want their kids to get sick. They don't want to get sick from their kids. So they've got incentives to be concerned about both sides of this picture. And when you look across this whole country, you'll see private and parochial schools are overwhelmingly, majority of them are in-person instruction. That's not the case for public schools. I don't see any way to explain that except that the private and the parochial schools are more responsive to parents. They need the parents to, uh, to be happy, and the parents aren't going to give them money unless they are offering that kind of instruction that they think is best for their kids. Public schools, it's a different story. They get funding from the government even if they have made the parents disappointed or frustrated or angry. The parents can only indirectly, through politics, if they're lucky, over time, make a difference. So there's just not that accountability there. Uh, when we uh, come back with uh, Ramesh, I want to ask him if he thinks that we're at a potentially a watershed moment here with how we do K-12 through education because of the volatility within the system that has been generated by the response to the pandemic. More with Ramesh Panaru, senior writer for National Review, Bloomberg Opinion columnist, visiting fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, right after this. The more you listen, the more you'll know. This is is the Dan Proft Show. Welcome back to the program. We're speaking with Ramesh Panaru, senior editor for National Review, columnist for Bloomberg Opinion, visiting fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, and he's uh, penned a, a piece recently about uh, the case for more school choice and how COVID is helping to make that case. And as uh, we uh, you were talking about before the break, you, you're seeing some mobility from uh, within the system, and mainly from public to private, at least in some cities. And I wonder if... Um, this is a moment where we can re- rethink how we do K through 12 education altogether or whether, you know, that sort of rethinking is going to be very uneven. It will be locality by locality. Well, I think that this is a great opportunity for rethinking, um, particularly if people are active in making the case that you know, the things that some of us on the right, some of us conservatives and libertarians have been saying for years about the negative influence of teachers' unions and the unresponsiveness 
of the public school system as currently configured, we were right. And this is this crisis is showing that to us in a tragic and unmistakable way. So we ought to, you know, when we ought to be talking about that, and we ought to be talking about giving parents more choices as a result of this. I do think that that message is going to land on receptive ears. Now, it may not even be a majority of people who come around on this, but keep in mind, we've only got about 10% of American school kids who are in private or parochial schools. Even if just a fraction of the people who've been homeschooling, essentially, or who have switched into private and parochial schools stay there, that could be a huge difference in terms of percentages, in terms of how many people are in those non-government schools, yes. or how many people are in more, or in more flexible public schools, charter schools, for example. You know, the other thing about this, and I don't know that there's great research on it yet, it's probably too early, but how long the tail will be on these policies. Uh, you know, Bob Mazakowski, we played before the break from Chicago Hope Academy, talking about uh, you just created 30,000 gangbangers in Chicago because you were too lazy to figure out how to open the schools and get kids back in school. And he talked about, you know, the, these kids that are not paying attention with their, on their quote-unquote, during their quote-unquote Zoom classes, and you think they're going to come back for their senior year at 19, then you're out of your mind. So now you're, you're pushing uh, kids who are, in less than stable familial situations out in the street in neighborhoods that are beset by violence and economic deprivation to begin with. And so uh, it has it, we talk a, a bit about the long tail it may have in terms of like anxiety issues and academic performance for those kids that are in more stable situations. What about the long tail it will have in big cities uh, when you're talking about uh, potentially exacerbating problems like Bob Mazakowski was talking about after a year where we saw this massive spike in, in homicides and violent crime, and, and we're still seeing it here in January. There are so many dimensions to the effects that this lack of schooling is going to have, and they're nearly all bad. In addition to the things that you've been talking about, Serious mental health problems are happening here, both because kids aren't getting the social interaction that they should be, and because there aren't other people keeping an eye on them or seeing them or having an influence on them. Um, and so, yeah, there's that. There's the economic effects. There's the obviously just the the, the sheer education that is not going on. But, yeah, I'm afraid that these things are going to ramify for quite quite a while. When uh, people see uh, the city of San Francisco suing, suing the uh, school district, as uh, was announced today, to reopen, they see uh, the mayor of Chicago jawboning back and forth with the head of the teachers union in Chicago. What should they understand about, uh, wait, wait, I thought these politicians are from the same party, the same philosophy, the same uh, and I, you know that they're allied. What what should they understand about what they're seeing? Are there any uh, you know uh, white knights in this story? Anybody wearing the, the the white hat in these stories? Well, I think you have what you have to think about is how extreme and unreasonable the teachers' unions had to be in order to provoke this kind of response 
from their coalition partners, right? No big city mayor is going to take on the teachers' unions lightly. Uh, I mean, we've seen the, what kind of effects that could have. You've seen that in your city. Um, but the, 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 the union's fundamental uh, imperative to just be self-serving at the expense of the public interest um, is, uh, it be- has become so radical that it's a problem even for these progressive liberal Democrats. Uh, but all the while, they cloak themselves and everything we're doing is uh, for the kids and everything that we're demanding is in the interest of safety. And so they're they're really flying in formation with the rhetoric that's coming uh, f- from the National Democratic Party. And I, I think to, you know, parents and, and other people pay passing attention to this. You know, it, it all blends together. It all sounds the same. Well, that's what I'm hearing from politicians yeah. at the national level. That's what I hear from my teachers union. Safety, 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 safety. So, uh, you know, they're my kid's teacher. I guess I got to uh, fall on their side of the divide. You know, it's funny because over the last two years, we've had these two parallel conversations where it tends to be Republicans who just sort of uncritically accept, you know, police unions are there for the for the public good and whatever they say is right. And it's been Democrats who are saying, no, no, lots of great police. Some of them say that, but they're self-serving institutions. We can't trust them always to be right. But those same people, when it comes to teachers' unions, they fall into the exact same habit of mind where they, they don't look at the actual interests, the actual incentives, what these organizations are, are designed to do. You know, teachers' unions, like any unions, they are going to operate in their own institutional interests. That's not always going to be in everybody else's interests. It's certainly not always going to be in school kids' interests. Ramesh Ponaru, Senior Editor for National Review, columnist for Bloomberg Opinion, visiting fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Ramesh, thanks for joining us as always. Keep doing it. You're welcome. Podcast of the show at danproffshow.com.